0: Welcome to the Light Reading
1: Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading.
2: I'm Kelsey Zeiser. I'm also an editor at Light Reading.
1: And I'm Craig Labovitz. I'm the CTO for the Nokia
0: Deep Field Business Line. Craig, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for taking the time. My pleasure. It uh, was wonderful to meet you at the Nano conference a couple of years ago, and we've uh, been following your work since, and, uh, and you're still tracking uh, DDoS attacks and all of the... Uh, things that keep uh service providers up at night. <laughs> um how big is uh, or give me a bit of background real quick for for our um listeners who aren't as familiar with Nokia Deep Field. Um can, can you give us a little background on on what that is inside of Nokia?
1: Sure. So yeah, we started out as a startup now going back uh 5 6 years ago and I was the CEO where we were focused on the idea that if we could bring machine learning and ai and big data to the problem of networking then we could solve some very large carrier and data center problems like ddos and security as well as things to assure quality of experience and traffic engineering so joe nokia about uh, four years ago now Uh, where we continue as a business line working closely with the router, the hardware, the optical, and other divisions within Nokia, still providing software to a large number of the largest global carriers and telecom providers, as well as large data centers and hosting around the world.
0: Excellent. And um, uh, one of the things that uh, I think has been the most, I, I guess, interesting to comment on in the past couple of years is how um, you know traffic patterns and usage and other stuff has changed during the pandemic. I imagine that DDoS attacks and security threats have also evolved or changed during the pandemic. Can you comment on how they've changed and maybe, uh, uh, maybe what's different now in the, in the last few uh, months or a year?
1: yeah well, I think the biggest change impacting all of networking is just the criticality as offices have gone remote as more and more has gone online uh the sensitivity the amount of transactions and work and learning everything uh, has moved online so I think both consumers and enterprise uh, certainly driving carriers to be much more responsive to things like DDoS outages or other types of threats impacting QOE. And certainly, while not perhaps directly tied to the pandemic, uh, we've continued to see DDoS rates grow uh, as they have been growing over the last uh, several years or more. So certainly a convergence of both criticality of the network and what continues to be a fairly serious growing threat uh, against those networks.
0: Does the growth of DDoS, is that mostly just a, a automation plus better computers kind of thing?
1: Yeah, I think it's really uh, three things are driving it. One is there's money. Uh, there's always been money in the past, but we've seen across the board from ransomware to others, a uh, much more diverse, uh, much more aggressive uh, sort of criminal economy, uh, trying to make money off of these types of threats. The second thing I think leading to the growth has been IoT. And sometimes it is compromised IoT, or sometimes it is just misconfigured that can be leveraged. But the sheer number of devices that are being added to the network and that have been added to the network that can be leveraged for DDoS has led to a very dramatic growth. And lastly, I think it really is an artifact of the Bitcoin economy, which is helping to fuel the ease of ransomware uh, is just sort of semi-anonymized transactions, but largely it's a case of money uh, and it is a criminal economy helped fueled by Bitcoin, taking advantage of the growth of the network and the growth of IoT that has led to what has been a marked increase uh, over the last several years and accelerating.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, Something we've we've talked about on the podcast a little bit um, in terms of uh, I think it was in regards to ransomware with some of these um, bad actors sort of like sharing notes almost or or how to go about doing these attacks. Is that something that you're seeing as well in DDoS where they're um, sort of sharing their approaches to to hacking?
1: Yeah. You know, it is an economy, right? You can go online and people will sell you lists of compromised machines. They will sell Mm -hmm. you botnets. They will sell you code. And in fact, if you look at the attacks and try to fingerprint them, you'll see a tremendous number of overlap and similarities between the attacks where there is pretty obvious sharing of code, even sometimes bugs. Uh, since there are quite a few bugs in some of these attacks, they're non-optimal. So yeah, you will see tremendous amount of sort of convergence and overlap. And if you go on to any of the, you know, dark web, uh, you'll see no end of people willing to sell you uh, all sorts of things. So, you know, it's it's a fairly robust uh, economy, mm-hmm. again, leveraging Bitcoin and again, leveraging the growth of IoT. Yeah,
2: that's certainly disconcerting. One area where you don't want them to be <laughs> you know, sharing notes. So.
1: I want to make it clear that the only time
0: I'm on the dark web is to, um, I'm still chasing down some light reading holiday photos from <laughs> several years ago. It's back in our New York office. I, i I continue
1: the, to search. Someday for. Someday you'll find them on the dark web. Good, yeah. Someday good. I will,
0: <laughs> I will out. find them and capture them. Good, um, good luck. The, <laughs> the, uh, uh, is is there so obviously the DDoS attacks are increasing it's you know increasing in frequency. Um are they is there a particular type of attack in that realm that's more common than others and 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 have they um are they increasing in their success rate?
1: Yeah, so I, I think there's several questions, so let's un- unpack that. You know, the, by frequency and just you know, sort of by, by frequency and magnitude, there's a type of attack that we call amplification. And that largely is the ability of attackers to steal bandwidth and compute from misconfigured miscon- servers. So the ability to ask a database server, you know, respond with all of your files. Uh, and then you can direct that traffic at a victim. So you don't have to generate that traffic but you can convince misconfigured servers all over the internet you're running you know DNS or NTP or memcache to respond. Uh those attacks have existed for I've been doing this for you know 20 25 years now. Those existed 20 25 years ago. Uh they look very similar. Sometimes there's new flavors of databases that can be exploited but those continue uh, where we've seen, I think, some of the more painful attacks start to arise is some of the botnet attacks. These are leveraging video cameras, uh, consumer modems, where they are using uh, you know, otherwise traffic that looks very similar to consumer traffic to flood, whether it be DNS or HTTPS uh, or SQL requests. So we've seen growth, I think, both in sort of the bread and butter of the last 25 years, which is amplification or taking advantage of misconfigured servers. And we've seen, particularly because they tend to evade many of the commercial DDoS solutions, uh, a significant growth in the DDoS botnets just over the last four or five years.
2: I hear the term carpet bombing occasionally. Um, Can you remind me what what that is? And is that similar to amplification?
1: Uh, So carpet bombing generally refers to trying to evade uh, DDoS detection. So much of DDoS is typically, I mean, a lot of DDoS is, you know, focused on a single server set of servers, you know, one or two IP addresses. Carpet bombing is an effort to attack more broadly, uh, say across an entire enterprise address space, rather than a single server, uh, to evade certain types of both detection and mitigation. To try to blend in better with the broader, you know, aggregate traffic going to the enterprise. Uh, you know, again, I think for a properly Uh, I'm speaking as a vendor here, but, you know, I I I think that is perhaps one of the lesser distinctions in uh, what you think it is a problem for some vendors and some products. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, So how are these attacks um, impacting enterprises and also um, service providers? Are there any uh, recent examples that you could share with us?
1: Uh so you know I, w- I won't go through name publicly but you know certainly uh, there's no shortage of Google search and and a number of uh vendors and others maintain websites listing the victims and the attacks but yeah there you know continue to be attacks that make the front page of you know the Wall Street Journal New York Times uh even 25 years later uh I think that for them you know I think what is interesting is for a while, you know, we started, I was involved in one of the first DDoS companies going back now 20 years ago, and I think for a period, uh, maybe going up until as recently as five years ago, DDoS largely felt like, if not a solved problem, a problem where the service providers had the upper hand. Most of them had deployed hardware and software solutions. Uh, largely, it was a technically solved problem. Um, You know, there's certainly where outages certainly attacks, but I I think it really is just the last several years where, again, we've seen sort of a doubling in the magnitude and frequency of attacks driven by IoT, uh, where the playing field has shifted. And this also, as you mentioned, by the way, is also automation is playing a role here, where some of the attack toolkits are now just completely automated. So, you know, as with many things in security, it's, uh, always a little bit of a cat and mouse here. I think we are at a point where the magnitude of attacks are so large that the existing solutions just don't scale. Uh, and that's one of the areas we're working very hard in is trying to provide something that, you know, scales for sort of the next generation of attacks.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. I, 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 um, it's, it's a bit more frightening, I guess, that with, with, uh, like you said, kind of an economy, a criminal economy at work, and then automation, highly automated systems at at work as well. You, you have attacks being carried out by people who aren't technical experts in this field at all. They're just, you know, just out to cause trouble, I guess, or make money, (laughs) um, as it were, uh, is there something that service providers, you know, well, I, I guess the first question is, what, when we're going into 5G, do these problems just multiply exponentially? Because one of the big, uh, you know, attractions of 5G is that you can connect that many more devices to every, you know, to every part of the network. Uh, is it is it safe to assume that the attacks are just going to sort of follow along that same trajectory?
1: Yeah, you know, I think 5G uh, does, you know, Is an area of concern. It's an area of concern across multiple vectors. Uh, One of them is certainly just more bandwidth, right? Previously, DDoS for mobile devices, you know, I mean, what are you going to do in a 3G, right? You know, it it doesn't really matter that much in uh, earlier generations. So certainly it's just the bandwidth and having fixed line equivalent or actually in my case, better, uh, you know, 5G bandwidth. And it's also just the way 5G is deployed and looks much more like an IP network meaning that in previous instantiations of mobile you would have you know sgn you'd have you know fairly narrow number of areas where mobile touched the rest of the internet that of course changes dramatically in 5g where now instead of protecting one or two data centers you now have a much broader uh, footprint and of course 5g also holds a promise of sort of this always on connectivity or you know fixed wireless So, uh, you know, in general, it definitely is a changing security model, uh, where now we have to worry about bandwidth. We didn't have to worry about before. We have to protect a much broader coverage area. And we now have always on, uh, you know, IOT devices with fixed wireless. And again, this is just really, uh, as I said, one of the big issues for providers today is just economics. You know, with infinite money, you can stick tons of hardware at every location and, you know, you can solve it with hardware or, you know, the old NASA saying enough thrust, anything will fly. (laughs) But, uh, you know, that that clearly is an economic problem now as 5G rolls out and it really does require a significant shift in the industry for how we think about securing mobile networks, 5G, as well as the growth in uh, fixed networks. Mm.
0: At some point, wasn't the kind of the attack surface? You know, you're talking about. Of course, it expands with more IoT devices connected to 5G networks and stuff like that. For a while there, it seemed to be getting smaller because all the traffic was either coming from Netflix or Facebook or, you know, like one of the, or or at least at least it seemed like uh, uh, internet traffic was was going to just a few places. And now it's you know now it sort of seems like we're on the the potential for, or is, is that going to change, I guess, in, in 5G or does, or, or does it still seem like um, uh, that, that you know, the, the big content delivery networks are still going to be kind of the primary place where all traffic is coming from?
1: Yeah, no, I, I think uh, multiple things are happening. And certainly a lot of my work over the last several years has been, I've been fascinated by the changing topology of, of the network. And it's certainly true that both for fixed and wireless for the vast majority of enterprises and consumers, traffic has been moving ever closer. You know when we started uh, YouTube traffic or you know huge amounts of traffic were transpacific or transatlantic Now most traffic is coming within fifty miles of most consumers and even smaller number of sort of as I think of it as top as hops topological hops in the network. So certainly by volume, uh, traffic has been moving ever closer with higher QOE, lower latency, which does, by the way, play a lot into our work. So it turns out you can take advantage of this changing topology when you look at security threats. If you can do things, for example, like map, where all the traffic normally comes from, if you can identify all of Netflix, all of Hulu, all of Salesforce, uh, then the surface is no longer looking for a needle in the haystack. You've got the haystack. The haystack is, you know, where the services are. Uh, so it then becomes a, it's both subtle as well as incredibly power, powerful shift in how we think about security to be able to both detect the worm, the DDoS, as well as block it. And that indeed is, you know, it's kind of a, a a softball pitch, but it's kind of the the heart of our approach. Is mapping the internet, mapping these services, taking advantage of this growing uh, concentration locality for the good traffic, which makes it much uh, quicker, uh, you know, much more accurate to identify the bad. Yeah, that so you
0: can focus all your energy on the things that aren't the eighty percent or whatever uh, mm-hmm. the traffic is.
1: Yeah, but yeah, so. today's internet has absolutely very significant patterns in what traffic looks like, where it comes from, how it's delivered. We know which CDN are used by which providers. We know which applications use which hosting. Uh, So it becomes very, very straightforward. Uh, I I will say the attackers are are trying to uh, compensate. So you know, today, if you go on any of the dark web, and if you find your photos, let me know. I but <laughs> just,
0: just I'm going to get right back to it. Yeah.
1: If you go on any of the dark web, they will provide helpful choices where you can pretend to be coming from any of the large, from Google or from oh, cloud. Okay. So okay. there, there definitely is uh, a recognition amongst the, uh, uh, you know, the uh, sort of criminal community of how to try to pretend. But, as I said, uh, I think it is it, you know with sufficient map of the internet, I think uh it is uh, very challenging for the attackers to kind of outwit that but there there definitely is some effort today which is which is interesting to watch it evolve
2: mm-hmm. Um, and do you have any additional thoughts on things that um, service providers can do to um, preemptively um, stop DDoS attacks from happening, um, perhaps using um, existing routers at the edge, um, AI, what are, what are some good tools out there right now that they can um, utilize to uh, prevent DDoS attacks?
1: Sure. So I think there's two ways to look at this. One is sort of a community-driven problem, much like global warming or others. There's, you know, what could we do if we all work together? And then there is sort of an individual. What can you do if, you know, we're not solving it today? And, and, and how do you respond? So from an overall community perspective, most of DDoS today is driven either from botnets or it's driven uh, the largest attacks driven from amplification in the ability for spoofing, for people to be able to forge their addresses that of their victim and get a database to respond with megs and megs of data from hundreds of thousands of misconfigured servers. So certainly we've been advocating within the community uh, for all providers to do a better job of making sure that they are preventing what's called IPHM, uh, sort of IP header modification or spoofing. People faking their IP headers. Uh, Most of the major cloud providers are doing it, most of the major consumer providers. There are just some, you know, a number of carriers that we need to get on board. And as a global community, we'll be in better shape. But as I said, it's a complicated business question uh, because it takes time, money to implement these types of of filters. Um, And not all providers are there. The second is, you know, if you are a service provider and DDoS have not gone away because as a community we haven't completely solved it, then I think the issue for providers is largely economic. The days of security typically have been throwing hardware, you know, every type of firewall, just racks and racks and racks of hardware. Uh, And we are rapidly approaching a sort of Moore's Law point where DDoS is scaling far faster then the cost of dedicated appliances is decreasing. So the only thing that's actually scaling at the rate of internet scale today is routers uh, because they need to, and, and that's they're at that price point and it's just how the internet works. So largely we've been focused with others in Nokia and others in ITF on how we can leverage existing routers and ASIC. Uh, to really meet the scale challenge. That's really what DDoS is today. It's just an economic scale challenge. Uh, and when we have sufficient you know, terabits per second through the router, and when we've got sufficient uh, filtering capability on the router, we can replace basically all this racks and racks of super expensive uh, specialized hardware and just you know, build it into the network. But it is a shift in networking. For years and years, security was something you built the network first. You did the routers, you put up the links, and then you were like, "Aha! Now I need to." Uh, and I think the shift you're seeing in the industry is largely recognizing that these are no longer separable, uh, but that security and networking are one and the same.
0: Yeah, oh, that's interesting. Uh, it, it does kind of uh, explain a lot, a lot more of the. Um, uh, uh, emphasis from the different equipment manufacturers on, you know, uh, on, on where where they're placing security, but also, uh, uh, you know, they've talked a lot about their capabilities in terms of uh, uh, the software being used to drive this, you know, and then uh, I, I assume AI is part of the equation in that as well, because it's, if, if things are operating that fast on on that scale, uh, h- humans can't Keep up.
1: <laughs> yeah, as, as as we discussed, the attackers are all automated today, right? And certainly, a founding principle when we were a startup was the idea that you can bring uh, And AI, AI by itself. By the way, is not not is not the only solution, right? AI works best when you can combine it with massive data sets, uh, and you can have the features and the algorithms to operate on. And it, so, you know, a uh, number of things happen to have to happen all at once. But we're certainly at the point now where certainly Nokia routers, but also uh, other vendors as well, the routers can export the data at the right speeds at the right time. Uh, the AI and ML algorithms can learn from that data and that the networking kit has the ability to be, you know, instantiate filters, right? You've got memory on the line cards. You've got, uh, you know, workflows. You've got all these acronym soup of netconf and gRPC and flow spec that allow us to do things with routers that previously required dedicated, very, very expensive hardware appliances to block DDoS as well as other security threats.
0: Um, uh, For the uh, folks in our audience probably remember your previous company. Uh, Before uh, DeepField, you were at uh, uh, Arbor Networks. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, uh, what uh, you were, you were, you founded the company, you were CEO, right? Or... Uh,
1: no, I, I had many roles as you might in a startup. Uh, so I, I directed engineering. I was in charge of, uh, QA. I was chief scientist. Uh, I was chief of engineering. Um, so I had many roles as you do in a company of four people, uh, and it later grew to four or five, 500, but yeah, so I was, in, I was, uh, I was part, uh, and for many years, I was the, uh, uh, head of uh, it was my product. I was head. I was the chief architect for Arbor. So after, let's see, at Arbor Networks.
0: Uh, so that got that company was uh, was sold, or wh- where did wh- what happened with Arbor, and then how did you end up uh, at at Nokia?
1: Sure. Yeah, Arbor uh, was acquired uh, 2011, uh, sort of 2010 timeframe. Uh, I stayed at at Arbor as one often does for a variety of contractual and, and other reasons. And around uh, 2012 uh, was bursting with ideas of what we could do, what one could do with again AI, ML applied to networking. And it was also clear, even back in 2012, that the world maybe not today, but was going to change. That we were going to move from servers to cloud. That routers would suddenly go from things that you you know couldn't program or instrument to we would start competing. Uh, with how many ways you can manage routers, and it would be again a shift we've seen in other industries where you know the hardware is one thing, but increasingly it shifts to a software world. Uh, and you know, again, whether you're Apple or whether you're Nokia, uh, I think it's it's the combination of world class hardware with world class software that makes a really compelling solution. Uh, in the in you know, as we were doing uh, Deepfield as a startup, we started to have discussions with a number of vendors about our vision. Our vision, if the routers and the ASIC had a few more capabilities, if we had a little more telemetry and management, we could change the world. We could replace all this dedicated appliances, leverage the routers. Not only was it uh, you know economically i think advantageous, but something that would provide lower latency, better performance. And really the only way to deal with a Moore's law problem. So it turned out uh, the discussions, particularly with Nokia, went so well back with, you know, what was then the FB4, uh, now the FB5, uh, that I think we jointly became, you know, so excited about the vision that we ended up joining Nokia, uh, you know, 2017.
0: Okay. So it's been a few years. That's great. Um, I couldn't. I, could, I couldn't remember the exact uh, uh, series of events. So thanks for for filling that in. But it sounds like you're uh, definitely on the same uh, on the similar trajectory, and things are kind of happening as you said they would. <laughs> That's kind quite uh, yeah.
1: satisfying. Yeah, I'm, I'm great at predicting uh, the future. Just the timing is always is always hard. But, uh, it's taken a, a little bit longer, uh, but I think we we definitely are seeing, and it's not just Nokia, right? You, you see this across the industry. Uh, I think all vendors have come to the same conclusion uh, that the only path forward is leveraging routers and security, and networking need to be one in the same.
0: Excellent. Okay. Well, thanks so much for uh, uh, Craig Lapovitz for being part of the light reading podcast. And uh, we hope to uh, speak to you soon. Next time we can come up with better, uh, uh, better questions about DDoS and, and, and uh, all the threats out there.
1: My pleasure. Thank you for having me today.